why don't we uh, take the uh, next page on our on our uh, outline, Roman numeral 15, the Epistle to Sardis. Okay. Now uh, I realize several of you had different questions about uh, the the uh, Church and Reformation. Uh, they're very good questions. They're just impossible for me to. Uh, touch them, but you may save them. We may get a chance to ask some of these questions later tonight, uh, which are very, some very good questions about uh, how things developed, why, why didn't this happen, why did this happen, things like that. Uh, to cover a whole period of, of time in just a, that brief a time is really hard to do, so uh, hang on to them. We, we could... We'll, could possibly get to them. Okay. Now, the, the epistle to Sardis is written, and I think with the backdrop uh, as kind of as uh, minimal as it was, I think this will help you realize how the Spirit was speaking to the church in Sardis here in the, in the exact way it did. Okay. Okay. Uh, A is the first phrase. It says, To the messenger of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Okay. Now, of course, this this is to this is to Sardis, as we mentioned, meaning the remainder. And here, the one speaking is again just the aspect of Christ that is needed for this situation. Okay, and so uh, this is the one who has the seven spirits of God. The spirit here is emphasized, and the seven stars that are shining. Okay, uh, you could say this way that uh, the spirit here, seven spirits, don't mean seven different spirits. They mean seven fold, seven times intensified spirit. The thing with the Reformation is this. They had a lot of outward doctrine that was, that was recovered. Uh, or I should say they at least had sufficient outward doctrine that was recovered. But never in the whole history of the Reformation was there much more than a beginning. And then uh, there was a big lack, and this lack was the essence of the Spirit. So here the Lord says, uh, He who has the seven spirits. The church in Sardis needed the inward reality of the Spirit. Okay, that's, that's the key thing. Uh, you, you'll see uh, as, as we go through here, uh, almost if you read book after book after book of what happened in the Reformation, you have one big feeling after you read it all, and that is, where was reality? They fought battles, they had debates, they did this, they did that, they threw away things, etc. But the question is, where is the experience of the Spirit? You see, that was the great thing. As much as they saw, most of it was still outward. Even justification by faith was not seen that much in the way of it being the doorway to the impartation of the Spirit. Very rarely did you see any teaching like that. Okay? 
when it says here the seven stars, of course, the seven stars uh, are part of the picture that you get in Revelation chapter 1. The Lord had the seven stars, which were the seven messengers of the seven churches in His right hand. You see, and these are seven stars. This means that uh, they're bright, they're shining. They're the ones who are bearing the burden for the testimony of Jesus. And they're bright and they're shining. This means they're full of the Spirit, you see, because they're shining and they're bright. You can say this way, uh, in Sardis, in Sardis, the Lord has to have the seven stars, you see. Uh, why is this? Because nearly the whole situation does not have the reality of the Spirit. So if you can get one person, let's say, let's say all of us here, we just are dead, okay? Steve, if you will become a shining star, that might make Kevin, you, he might catch the shining from you. Then he might become shining, you see? And then I might become shining. You see, there's a possibility. So somebody has to bear the burden the response, somebody has to take the responsibility to be shining in the midst of a dark situation. Now, the Reformation was a dark situation. And what the Lord was doing during that time was trying to bring forth some light. Just a little shining. A star is not a bright light. But it is a shining in a dark situation. Okay? And at that time, what you will see is that there were, there were the, the stars, okay, they were shining. Martin Luther was a shining star. Zwingli was a shining star. Uh, people we have books about. And then no telling how many people we, don't, we never heard of, okay? Thousands of people. They were shining stars, you see. But they were the exception. And mostly, mostly the Reformation is a history of, of uh, unique individuals who were shining where everyone around them basically were dull. You could find a shining star here and one way over here and one here. And here. In other words, it's a history of certain individuals who had the reality of the Lord in their life, but for the most part, for the general part, the others were void. They may have been saved. They may have had genuine salvation. But as far as daily reality, they were really, really void. Okay? So that's the characteristic here of Sardis. You see, uh, a few stars, but not that many. Okay? Then B says, I know your works. I know your works. That, listen to this, that you have a name that you are living and you are what? Dead. See, it's a name. And the name is that they are living. But the reality is that the Lord sees behind it is that it's a dead situation. Uh, the Reformation, as we saw a little bit with the history with these people, the Reformation with most of these people, you see, uh, to them, religion was so mixed with politics, social life. Uh, the whole thing was one, it was just one big uh, thing. They could not 
they could not separate their experience of Christ from politics of the day. You see what I'm saying? Uh, this deadened everything. You see, there was nothing pure here. Uh, we'll have to wait and see the reaction to the Reformation, which is Philadelphia, until we really see the pureness come out. Okay? Uh, so it says they have a name that they're living. You see? You would think, well, these, these people threw off all the yoke of uh, the Roman uh, uh, church, and they ought to be really living, you see. But, but uh, basically, this was not replaced with the living experience of Christ. And so people threw off something, took on nothing, and, and in some ways, uh, the conditions were worse. Okay? Uh, not in all ways, but in some ways. Uh, the people as, uh, as a whole may not have gotten that much help. But the truth caught and stayed, and nobody could overthrow that. And it, was, and it began to be handed down from generation to generation until, until uh, it became uh, Protestant in nature. And then it skipped over the Atlantic Ocean to the New World and had a fresh beginning through the Puritan movement. You see, and then many things followed after that. Okay, the principle with having a name that you're living is, is like this. Many, many uh, places where the Lord began to do something during all of these centuries, their initial time, maybe it was one year, maybe it was five years, maybe it was six months, maybe it was... Uh, uh, you know, some period of time, but it was never for very long. Okay? But initially, there would be some real move of the Spirit, and they would be living. You see? The Lord would raise, raise up a group here, and they would be so living, and it would last a year and a half, and, and there's a little someplace in, in church history where you could read about it. And it was so good for a year and a half, and then uh, something happened. They lost the experience of Christ. They became dead. But they kept the name. You see, the name was that they were really doing okay, but the actual situation was they were quite dead. Then, when, when, you, when you have the name that you're living and you become dead, there's only one thing left for you to do, and that's to organize. You see, so nearly all of the uh, things that came out of Thyatira had some kind of beginning that was fresh for a short period of time Okay. Then, when that failed, then you organize it, and that organization has, in some cases, existed for several centuries. But the, the vitality of life is not there. They have a name that they are living, but they are dead. You see, Martin Luther was a living person. He had a living contact with Christ. But if you, if you uh, go to a Lutheran uh, assembly today, you would have a hard time finding one person that even knew that Christ was supposed to be uh, their life, much less have the experience of it. You see? Well, this is, this is a principle, and we have to always check ourselves a little bit, you see. Check ourselves. We, uh, we don't want to say, well, oh, when I came into the church life, it was, oh, this, oh, it's just so good. I just found the Spirit. I found my Spirit. I started enjoying the Lord. I've been eating and drinking Christ all the time, you see, and, and uh, so forth. Then, 
Uh, if that goes, if that goes, if you want to maintain yourself as an entity, you have to have something to replace it with, and the only thing left is organization. You have to organize it. You, you follow me? That's why, that's why if we want to be Philadelphia, never organize. Keep things in a condition, in a situation, that if the spirit goes, you collapse. If you keep it that way, you'll be able to always take your own temperature. If the spirit goes, you collapse. You see? Your meetings should be this way. If the spirit goes, the meetings collapse. If the Spirit goes, the Gospel collapse. Everything should hinge on whether you have the Spirit and whether you are alive. You see, if you are, then you can see it. If, if it's not there, because everything is based on the Lord being living and we're alive in Him, if, if that's not the case, we just collapse. Then this would be a blessing. This is, we'll call this the blessing of collapse. Okay. Isn't this a lot better than grinding on for 50, 100, 200 years, thinking what, uh, everything maybe is okay? And the Lord says, uh, you have a name that you are living and you are dead. Amen. See? No. Everything, even the way we practice, needs to be in this principle, you see. So that what? So that we would not be dead with a name that we live. This is a kind of a false uh, situation. Then the Lord said in C, Be, Become watchful and establish the things which remain, which were about to die. Okay? Listen to this. He says the things which remain. Even the things that they were recovering and that they did restore and brought back out of darkness and, and recovered some truth from the Bible and brought it into the light, even they did that the Lord says that they're in danger of losing it. Okay? So He says, watch, be watchful and establish the things which remain, you see, uh, which are about to die. These things are about to die. And saints, in all honesty, in church history, there are many things that were recovered at one point in church history. And today, in 1991, if we analyze that same situation projected into our year, we can see it is not the same. What they had at a certain point is now dead. Do you understand me? Would you believe that the Methodists at one time were probably in this country the most prevailing evangelist, the Methodists? They had the camp uh, revivals. They had the most prevailing evangelists, etc., etc., established by Charles Wesley, whose whole life was given to preaching the gospel. I mean, uh, John Wesley, whose whole life was established to preaching the gospel. He's the one who was the seat of this. Do you think today, if he walked in, most of you have never been inside a modern Methodist church, I would say three out of four, you would have no idea what the gospel was. You would never hear it. You would hear modern humanism taught not the gospel of God you see and it, was be, it would be done in the name of uh, the Methodist and, and in some cases perhaps the name of John Wesley he would flip wouldn't he <laughs> see? but the Bible says they're about to die strengthen them lest they die then it says, For I have not found your works completed before my God. The works of the Reformation basically are like this. They, they started. Here's zero. 
And that's about where they were, and they started the works. And here's the goal right up here. You see? And at a certain point, they leveled out, and there is not a completion. They got some things recovered, justification by faith, uh, some cases baptism, some, some truth about assembling together, some truth about evangelism, and little some, some lights along the way. But uh, as far as going the distance and there being a completion to the goal, which would bring the Lord back, which would be uh, the way to prepare the bride and bring Christ back, the completion, the majority by far, has not been completed. Okay, that's why we cannot stop at Sardis. We have to press on to Philadelphia. Okay, now uh, I want to talk to you in some detail about uh, these works that are not completed. But let's finish these points right here first. Okay, D. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. If therefore you will not watch, listen to what the Lord says to this church. I will come as a thief. He's coming to the church in Sardis. Okay? But He's coming as a thief, not as a bridegroom. He's coming as a thief. And He's telling them, and you shall by no means, not even at all, you shall by no means know at what hour I will come upon you. What, is this, what does this say to us? This is, this is their Lord who says, I'm going to be like a thief. This means He's going to come to them and they're, not, they're going to have no idea He is there. That's why you know, a successful thief, you never know He's in the house, right? They don't know He's there, you see. And this is the situation. He's telling Sardis, you don't know me. I'll come and you'll have no knowledge of it at all. You don't have that kind of knowledge of me. You don't really know me. You see? You're not familiar with me. You don't have a real personal relationship with me. So I'm going to come, on, come upon you and you, you will by no means know it. You see? Well, if we apply this a little bit today, we can say this way. And I think this is very appropriate for us to ask ourselves this question. That is, today, does Sardis, representing all of the Reformed churches, does Sardis know, do they know what is on the heart of the Lord? And do they know what He's trying to do right now? Are they that familiar with Him? Or do they only know Him in a very distant way? Do you understand me? As a whole, consider. Because if you do, you would have to realize that the situation, this is what we call Christianity minus Roman Catholicism. That whole tremendous realm of Christianity, basically speaking, they don't know the Lord's heart's desire and they don't know what He's doing right now. They don't know what He's doing. <laughs> you know, one of the reasons we get such a rough time, I, I hope you'll pardon my saying this, 
one of the reasons people give us a rough time, and they always give us a rough time, when they find out, well, you know, Christ is this and Christ is that and we can do this and we don't want to, uh, we're, we're not for this, but we're just for Christ and we're for the building up of the church and we're for oneness and all these things that are so great in the Bible, you see, but this gives people problems, you see. This means they're out of touch. They're not intimate with the Lord. They don't know what's on His heart, you see. To them, He's like a thief and He should be like a bridegroom. You know, don't you think, don't you think the bride knows what's on the bridegroom's heart? But a thief, and a, you know, how, how do you know what a thief's thinking? He's the last person you want to talk to, <laughs> right? This means what? No intimate relationship with. They don't know what's on his heart. They don't know what he's doing. You see? Then it says, "But you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments." Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I want to emphasize a couple things here. Number one, the Bible says you have a few names. Few means few. It doesn't say many names. It's not half. It's just a few names. This is Sardis. Sardis is a situation of spiritual giants. These are a few and far between, but they are there. It's a situation of spiritual exceptions, spiritual rarities. They are there, okay? But they're only a few. Uh, if you came out of any situation in Sardis... Uh, and because you're so young, maybe maybe you don't have such a strong impression. Uh, but uh, when I came out of Sardis, and I was, uh, you know, around 20, uh, the pastor of the denomination I was in was an old an old man, and he had just been there. He was doing this as a uh, kind of a special thing because he he was teaching at uh, at the university there and that man that man was uh, to the very best of my ability to 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 uh, determine anything he was one of those few he was such a man of god so real so full of the word he was living and you could tell whenever we were with him, you just sensed you were you were quite close to to the Lord. So he was he was really uh, an exceptional thing. But when you went in and you got to know the whole congregation, their heart was somewhere else. Their heart was in their life, their job, their family, their career, their entertainment, their recreation, and and the and church was just part of of America right. and you just did certain things you see but if you hung around long enough you found a few people in every congregation that bucked the tide that went against the grain and they paid the price to keep a personal relationship with the Lord and though they didn't know anything more they overcame in their situation and they were not dead but they were alive you see uh, you could say here 
the defiling of the garments is, is getting death on your garment. You're dead, spiritually dead, and that defiles your garment. See, these people fought and they maintained an intimate personal relationship with the Lord even though everybody and everything around them was saying, uh, it's not worth it, don't, don't pay the price, don't sacrifice. You see, yet they did it and they, uh, they are the few names that did not defile their garments, and they're worthy, and therefore the Lord will, uh, they'll walk with the Lord in white. What is white? This is their garment, you see. In other words, they had a personal relationship with the Lord. What do you get as a reward for that? A greater personal relationship with the Lord, you see. Your garment was kept white, now you, you, you continue. You enhance that white garment, and you walk with the Lord in white in the coming age. You follow me? Okay, <clears throat> be impressed that it's few, but never make the mistake to say there's, don't ever say there's nobody there. That's wrong. Okay, it's, it would be better to be one of the few, by far, to be one of the few in Sardis than to be in Philadelphia and not be one of the overcomers. That would be the tragic thing. When you're in a situation, a circumstance, the conditions are all right for you to have an overcoming life of true experience of Christ, yet you don't go for it. But in Sardis, everything was against it, but yet they made it. See? So they have a few names there. Then uh, F, he who overcomes, he shall be clothed in white garments, and I will by no means erase his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Uh, this, is a, this is a wonderful thing here because uh, you get clothed in white garments. This white stands for approvedness in the Bible. This means you're approved, you're accepted, uh, you're truly an overcoming one, and so you get to rule and reign with Christ. And your name is not erased out of the book of life. The book of life, you know, these kind of verses drive people batty. Because, oh, you have my name erased out of the book of life. I, you know, this is the fall from grace verse. One of the fall from graces. One of the fall from grace verses. Okay, you fell from grace. Look, your name, this means, doesn't this imply your name was there? And it got, I mean, erased means it was there, doesn't it? How would you like your name erased out of the book of life? <laughs> I was going to heaven, now I'm going to hell. This is exactly the way it's interpreted. See? If there's only if there's only this if you're in this, you know, just this locked mentality, that's the only way you can look at it. Then all the other verses which guarantee assurance, you cannot reconcile it to this. Because here it says erasure. This is an erasure. You were in the book of life. And in Revelation it says, whoever was not written in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Does it not say that? Yeah. If you're in that mentality, you just go to the lake of fire. See, you have to have a dispensational understanding of the Bible. There are three dispensations. There's this dispensation of the church. This is a dis this is there's we're living in the age of life. Okay? Since the Lord's resurrection, you can have life. So when you got regenerated, you got life. So your name went into the book of life. There's another dispensation. That's the dispensation of the kingdom. You see, are you going to participate in the blessings of that age 
that depends on whether your name's in the same book of life. Then there's a third dispensation of eternity, which is a dispensation of life. See? If you really are overcoming in this age, you're guaranteed your name will be in the book of life in the other ages. But if you, if you just fool around and, and uh, don't pay the price to be one who overcomes, then you don't get the reward of being in the book of life in the next age. Then you have to wait for the final age to be restored. See, So your name can be in the book of life, but you have to see it in three dispensations. See, now, the kingdom, and eternity. You see this in all the verses in the Bible. Don't butt heads. They all complement one another. You follow me? Okay. You got it? The Epistle to Sardis. Now flip over. And let me speak a little bit to you about the uncompleted works of the Reformation. I take this from the verse that says, I have not found your works complete before my God. Okay, what did the church in Sardis not have? Uh, many things. I did not write them all down. Uh, we'll add to them if you want to, but here are some things that must be considered. Okay, they must be considered. A is concerning Christ, and B is concerning the church. This, this is the area right here I'm talking about. Concerning Christ, uh, what... Where, where did they stop? The revelation stopped. Okay? And on the church side, what was not seen, or if it was seen, it never got off the ground, it was never implemented, it was never put into practice, it never got wrought into God's people in a, in a permanent way. Maybe it was seen, but it just, didn't, it just never got applied. Okay? Here's, here are the things that I feel are among some of the, the main ones, okay? I'm not talking about practices here. I'm talking about major, major uh, concepts of truth, okay? Number one, concerning Christ. The all-inclusiveness of Christ was never seen, not even slightly, Okay? Uh, what was seen, what was seen during uh, the Reformation, was that Christ was your way of redemption for forgiveness of sins. Right. Added on to that, they took morality. You had to be a moral person, lead a uh, moral life. So, redemption plus morality was the total of the Christian life for nearly 99% of anybody that got genuinely saved. Redemption plus morality. Today it's really the same thing. You go to what, what place, I don't care. If, you, if it's fundamental, you'll hear about redemption and you'll hear about morality. Get saved and lead a good life and be a witness for Christ. Right. Number two, they did not see the indwelling of Christ. You see, this was not perceived. You know, uh, uh, one brother was telling me about a book he was reading about this, about Sardis, uh, that time in history, and he remembers one uh, brother who was writing in his, uh, like a journal or something like that, that uh, he was reading these verses 
from the Bible about Christ, you know, like Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me, or something like that. And he would read this, but he, he said he was trying to figure out how that could be. I mean, almost saying that's not possible. But he, he couldn't get away from these verses. He would read John 14 and, you know, all the references to Christ living inside of us. Romans 8. And, you know, and he finally he told his friend, he says, you know, I, I, I don't understand it, but it, it seems like, and, you know, just embarrassed to say it, it seems like that, uh, that Christ is inside of us. Uh, you know, like he's saying something that, you know, uh, he's afraid somebody will overhear it. It's just too radical, you know. Could it be? I mean, I'm reading these verses. Do you really think it means Christ? It, it says, Christ lives in me. Do you really think Christ lives in me? I mean, this was, this was missed, you see. They didn't see this. Then, uh, Christ being the life-giving Spirit for our experience. You can believe me. Everybody in the Reformation... Uh, I, when I say everybody, I shouldn't say that. The, the general thrust of the Reformation, okay, was you had a relationship to Christ. He was in the third heavens and you were on the earth. He kept His eye peeled on you and you should keep your eye turned to Him. There was no concept of having a relationship of Him living inside of you in a way of being the life-giving Spirit. No. That just wasn't there. Okay. You had to be you had to be one out of ten thousand to have, have any kind of concept of this. Okay. Uh, four, Christ being our life. Uh, sounds simple. Uh, but I remember after I got saved, being raised in a very fundamental branch of Sardis, very fundamental. Having received the gospel of redemption there, getting saved there, okay, and, and everything, becoming very stirred up, being very evangelical, preaching the gospel to others, and so forth, but not having the slightest idea that Christ, God had made Christ to be my life. I had no idea, nothing. It was, I was blank. It never registered. See? Normally, if you get saved the very same day, you should have some realization Christ is now in you as your life. But you know, back then it was, uh, oh, I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And uh, besides that, uh, the Lord is going to, you know, uh, with some kind of concept, be with me. But you never realized He was your life, your replacement. He was going to replace you. You didn't have that, you see. You thought He would bless your human life. You never had the idea He would become your life. Period. I thought it meant... The first time I heard it, I thought He was going to really get involved. To, for Christ to be my life, that meant my human life was going to be really involved with Christ. Not, not one, but just really a, a lot of... Uh, he was going to get real interested and involved in my life. But Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, is manifested. You see. 
Then uh, the growth of life, again, a matter of life. The growth of life being the way. Listen, not only they didn't see it, I'm not sure we all see this. The growth of life being the way. You know why? You know why? all these organizations were developed. Even Wesley's was so strict. There were so many practices, so many spiritual techniques, so many spiritual practices, so many, quote, methods. You know, so many things that they had to do in such a rigorous way is because they wanted to bring their body into subjection and they wanted their whole being to be uh, really useful. But they did not know that the seed that was within them, that's Christ, would grow up and uh, produce a shape in them. You see, they, they, uh, they didn't see that this life was a seed that could grow and replace them and be everything to them. And because they didn't see this, they had to make up the difference by having a large amount of rules and regulations to live by. Therefore, they were very strong in the rules, the codes, and the regulations because they didn't realize the growth of life would swallow them up and make them a bright shining star. You see, praise the Lord, we see that. So we're not here. When you get saved, we don't tell you a lot of things that you have to do or stop doing. We tell you basically you have to what? Contact the Lord to get the growth in life operating. Love Him, touch Him, enjoy Him. And behold, I will make all things new. See, enjoy Him and watch the change of the new creation. They were trying to get it through pressing on themselves from without. And the growth of life is the way to let Christ grow up from within. See, they didn't see that. They didn't see the seed of life. The way of transformation into Christ's image is very similar to this. And uh, uh, the fact that this growth of life, the growth actually being transformation. And, that, and saints, listen to this. That in this age, after we get regenerated with life, before we get glorified in our body when the Lord comes back, there is nothing going on in this age except transformation. Okay? Think about it. There's only three things that go on in a person's being. One is regeneration. That's over for you, you saints, right? The other is glorification. That's something you can do nothing but wait for. The only thing happening right now out of these three is transformation. And the Lord as a life-giving Spirit is growing in you to transform you into His same image. Nobody sees this. They do not comprehend that this is the focus of the church age is transformation into His image. They don't see it. They have no idea that this is what we're doing on earth is we're getting transformed from one degree of glory to another. You see? It's so, it's enormous. The, the magnitude of it is massive. I mean, if we're not doing this, what are we doing? That's right. Yet if you talk to somebody about uh, what we need is transformation into the image of Christ in this age, they'll, they'll stop and, and, and it'll... it'll, it'll uh, be a kind of a jolt to them. What, I don't understand what you're talking. W what do you mean? 
obviously. We understand we need to read our Bible. We understand we need to pray. We, need to, we understand we need to be moral. We understand we need to stay away from sinful things. But does anybody realize we need to spend our days taking care of getting transformed into His image by the Lord's Spirit? They don't see it, do they? This is a big thing. You see? They didn't go all the way back. Do you think Luther had the slightest idea about this? No. No. Then, uh, the, day, the living out of Christ in our daily life. Uh, this is not much different from Christ being our life, but we have to apply Him and live Him out in our daily life. And again, this is versus, this is versus the flesh, the self, the natural man, religion, rules, any, anything. We just, uh, the Christian life is simple, you see. We're not Old Testament people. We just live on one simple principle. Live Christ. Just check with Christ. Just touch Christ. See? Just go according to Christ. Be one spirit with Christ. That's all. So simple. Everything is simple. Apply Christ. Just take Christ. That's all. Just one rule. One rule. Live Christ. What are you going to do about this? Live Christ. What are you going to do about that? Live Christ. What's the answer to this? Live Christ. How do I do that? Live Christ. How do I preach the gospel? By living Christ. How do I become victorious? I just live Christ. How do I read the Bible? By living Christ. Everything just live Christ. See? How do I deal with my temper? Just live Christ. See? Isn't that better than eight methods and rules? Or 26? Number eight, the human spirit to contact God. <laughs> this is like discovering. Uh, this is like discovering the new world. <laughs> you know, the human spirit. Amen. <laughs> Listen, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a discovery that you could that Christ. Uh, could be contacted by our human spirit. We have, we have a human spirit and that allows us to touch the Lord, to contact God Himself. This is a major discovery. You know, when the local churches first started in this country, uh, we were the only ones that propounded this. Now, this is a, this, you hear this all over the place on the radio waves. Preachers from all walks of life are telling us that uh, we're to, uh, we're to uh, exercise our spirit, touch the Lord in the spirit, where we we're born again in our spirit, all kinds of things like this. Telling us that we're three parts, body, soul, and spirit. I heard Billy Graham one time say this just as bold, and I knew good and well that in his earlier ministry he had no knowledge of this. But I heard him saying on a platform one night, I, I, watched, it, I watched it on TV set, and he was preaching, and... Uh, and he, in a certain place in his sermon, he says, You see, you have three parts. This is Billy Graham. He says, You see, you have three parts. Like, this is, he was diagnosing their trouble. You have a body. And you know that. And you have a soul, your psychological part. But did you realize that you also have a spirit? And that, my friends, is a part you've neglected. Like that, see? I said... Praise the Lord for praise the Lord for the ministry. Yeah. 
<laughs> Listen, I have, I have turned on the radio, uh, especially when we would take a trip and, and catch a religious station to see what they had to say. And one time we heard a message. And because I've read, you know, most of the messages in the, in the, in the uh, that's been printed in the green volumes, you know. Well, I have read them. Uh, and one guy started off on a message, and, it, and I knew the points before he came to them. He, got, he, was just, he was going right down, and it was, it was, the points were right there. It was amazing. See, of course, we didn't get credit for it, but it's okay. The word was being preached. Paul says, "Paul says whether for whatever reason, right? I, I, the the word's being preached, and I rejoice." Okay. You know, we were so touched. I, I want to say this quickly. You know, we were so touched when we came into the church when we were your age. That we started, you know, we were going to shock the world, really. So we, we were going to, we wrote some things. Uh, we, we wrote one book. We wrote one book uh, among us. It was great. <laughs> uh, the only thing is the other brothers that we fellowshiped with, they didn't think it was that sensational. So that, that book never saw the light of day. But anyway, it, it was written. I don't know where it is right now. But it was one book that never was published. Then we wrote some tracks lengthy things uh, not for, for believers okay we were more burdened for believers then because we were the first ones out of the denominations to take the way of the church life so you know what you know one we wrote four key tracks you know what the first the first one was we call it the human spirit the key to experiencing Christ and boy we just put everything we'd heard up to that time which wasn't a whole lot but we put it all into that track and boy we edited it and polished it and re-edited it and re-polished it and re-edited it and you know what it got printed and I don't know if some of you got a copy of that yeah we wrote that way back when we were uh, we were just uh, Hercules age yeah we wrote that we, oh that was great fun and we wrote a few others too, but that was the one that's, that was really uh, outstanding to us. To us, emphasize it. Number nine: the mingling of the human and divine spirits is one. Based on First Corinthians six seventeen, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. Right? Amen. Amen. And of course, some things some things are in, implied here that you have two spirits: your human spirit gets, uh, you know, is indwelt by the divine spirit when you're born again. I mean, that you actually receive another life, which is the divine life, uh, the spirit being in our spirit. When we're born again, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right? John 3, 6. And, and that, of course, you, 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 that wasn't seen in Sardis. That was not there. Okay? But saints, we're, we're, we're fighting the battle to recover this. You see? The mingling of the human and divine spirits is one. Does, do you realize this is not a doctrine? But this means that we have located the spirit who is the embodiment of Christ. We've got his address. We know where he is. We know where he lives. We can go and fellowship with him whenever we want to because we're not, we're not searching for him out there or up there or in here. But we know he lives where? In our spirit. And so we can contact him whenever we want to. We got him located. We got his address. The life-giving spirit lives in my spirit. 
my spirit and, and his spirit are mingled as one. Amen. When I touch his spirit, I touch my spirit. When I touch my spirit, I spontaneously touch his spirit. They're interchangeable. You can't touch one and miss the other, okay? This is quite, this is quite a completion of the truth, you see. Okay, the distinction between our soul and our spirit. Oh, this one, this one is a battle. It still rages today. People would not agree. They wouldn't even agree with the statement I just uh, uh, paraphrased Billy Graham is making. That we're three parts. They say we're just two parts, our body and our soul. If this is the case, then you, you, never, you never are clear uh, about any uh, subjective experience of Christ within. You're not clear. Because to you, your soul is just your soul. You see, But to know that your soul is one thing and your spirit is a deeper part and there is a distinct difference is a major, major thing for a Christian to know. You see. Otherwise, you could live your whole life, you could have the spirit within you, but not knowing how to separate your spirit from your soul. You could, you could not be that clear if you were doing something w with the Lord or not. You know, everything a Christian does, you're supposed to do it with and in one spirit with the Lord. So you could do it and not be clear. This is why today, if people live in their soul, if it's, if it's the bad part of their soul, they're in their flesh. You follow me? If they're in the good part of the soul, even, the, even if it's religious, even if it's scriptural, yet it's still just the soul, it's not Christ. And in God's eyes, it still has no value. Can you imagine spending your whole life doing things that for the most part were just soulish things and they were apart from Christ and yet they were done in the name of Christ and in the end God says, I don't know, any, I don't know about any of this stuff. To me it's wood, hay and stubble and I don't recognize it. See? To have a distinction is really a major thing. It, uh, the Reformation never got that fine. It never went that far. That's why they had something of the Spirit. Right. But after that, it was just this massive movement of the soul. Do you understand that? Okay. With, a, with the exceptions of a few giants and some groups here and there that had uh, short-lived experiences of, of life. Okay. Then, 11, walking according to the Spirit intuitively. <clears throat> How about that one? You see, you know what? <laughs> Boy, this one, this one would shock anybody back in the 16th century. Walk according to the Spirit intuitively? If, we, if Calvin would have known that, his book called The Institutes of Religion would have been about three pages long. <laughs> right? Yeah, preach the gospel, get them saved, baptize them. Uh, uh, tell them about their spirit, help them to pray, read, uh, and uh, so forth, and then help them to walk according to the spirit intuitively, end of institutes of religion. <laughs> See? But because they didn't have that simplicity, that kind of organic way of life, you see, they didn't have the, 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 the life being the way they had to, they had to analyze everything out to the nth degree. You see? The list of things punishable by what kind of fines I mean, this was all... I mean, I mean, today we would think, how could that possibly have ever happened? Well, their works were not completed before God. So as a substitute, you have to put something there. Right? Right. 
Okay. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, I hope none of us think it's uh, uh, it's radical to walk according to the Spirit. If so, then you are just in a different mentality than the New Testament. The New Testament just stresses the walk according to the Spirit. The walk according to Spirit. It stresses this over and over. And the Spirit is known intuitively and, and this means we have to get familiar with the Lord in our spirit so that we can trust our sense as He leads us. Amen. Right? Then, uh, 12 and 13 are really uh, go together. The subjective work of the cross and the resurrection life. Uh, the objective work of the cross was what was preached about during the time of the Reformation. The subjective work of the cross where not only Christ forgave our sins on the cross, that was taught in the Reformation and so forth, but how about, how about the work of the cross where it not just my sins but me, myself, died on the cross. Right. And that that can be experienced by me today by letting the Spirit put to death the things of the self within and you apply the cross daily, that was not there recovered. This was recovered in Philadelphia. Okay, The subjective work of the cross where He what? <laughs> where He puts us on the cross so that instead of us living the natural human fallen life, the cross operates in our life, putting to death the natural man so that the resurrection life of Christ would be our replacement. And, and the resurrection life, which is the most powerful life, you see, would uh, live in us and the law of the spirit of life in Christ, you see, uh, would, uh, would supersede the law of sin and death. Amen. Now we know about the resurrection life. He's not just in us as life, but the resurrected life. This means the most prevailing life on planet earth is in our spirit. There is no force, no situation, no problem, no obstacle, no part of our flesh that is stronger than the resurrection life. We have to have a little vision of the resurrection life. Okay. The 14, the spiritual eating of Christ for our supply. This is strange terminology. If you read, if you read books, if you came across a phrase like this, you would, you would just you'd rip the page out of the book and go photocopy it and give it to everybody. The spiritual eating of Christ for our life supply. But if you read John 6, the... the uh, that's all that chapter speaks about is eating is, is spiritually eating Christ for your supply. That's all it talks about. You see? Eat Christ, eat Christ, eat Christ. He that eats me. If any man eats me, just eating Christ. You see? Listen, just today, in Christ, in Christianity as a whole, I mean in the part, the genuine part, not just the nominal Christians. Not many people know that their portion is that every day they get to get up, open their Bible, not just read words, but fellowship and contact the Lord through the Bible and get an eating and a supplying through that. They don't have that. They don't know that. See? 
we need Philadelphia <laughs> to come along. I remind you, there were some giants. A few people don't say Madame Guyon didn't know what she was doing. She had a tremendous time with the Lord. She pray read long before that concept was ever among us. You see, but she was, she did it, but no one else did. You know what I'm saying? But it had to be recovered to a point that Philadelphia corporately eats and drinks Christ and gets their life supply that way. You see? Then, uh, the mingling of the divine life with our human life. Uh, this I don't mean this in regeneration, but in our whole being, from our spirit to our soul to our body. The consummate thing is that the divine, the divine life will be fully mingled with our human life. Okay, we'll have a mingled life. And I, I, on this point, I'm not sure even we here today see that point that clearly. We tend to think of either ourselves alone and the Lord is away there someplace, or else He comes in and uh, He takes over and we have nothing to do with it. This is the, this is the case with the Pentecostal movement. But the reality of God's economy is a mingling of two lives. Your human life and the divine life mingled as one entity, living in expression. You see? So it is Christ, but it's Christ in you. Christ through you. Christ with you. Christ mingled with you. See, this is really, uh, this is a little deep. Okay. It's an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an indescribable thing that we could be a certain type of human being and Christ could mingle Himself with us to such a high level that we are His expression, but we are His expression through our humanity. It's a little bit mind-boggling, but it is a reality. Okay, these are the major things concerning Christ. You see, they weren't there in Sardis, but uh, in Philadelphia they have to be recovered. And praise the Lord, they are being recovered today. Amen. That wonderful. Amen. Then concerning the church, here are the things that, uh, these are big things. Now, I, I couldn't begin to go into practices, just like I didn't include pray reading up here with Christ, because these, uh, we can name a lot of things. I'm talking about major things, okay, not just certain practices. First of all is the heavenly calling of the church. They didn't see it. Otherwise, they would have never gotten mixed up in politics in trying to bring unbelievers into some kind of uh, kingdom life. They would never have tried that. They would never have fooled with it. They would never have tried to reform the world. They would have simply realized that the church is an outcalling that you're called out of the world, you live in it, but you come out of it, and they are there and you are here, and you have a relationship with it. Yes, but you are called out of it as, as the entity of the church, and this is a spiritual thing. You're not trying to convert them, and you don't let them convert you. You see? They're two separate things. It's a heavenly calling. You belong to the heavens. The reformers kept trying to reform the earth. Right. And Paul kept saying, your citizenship is in the heavens. Amen. See, So 
they, they couldn't determine that. They couldn't see it. They, uh, they, they didn't realize the nature and essence of the church. So they kept banging away trying to make the earth conform to their concept and the earth wouldn't do it. Okay? Consequently, all the disagreements and arguments came out and all the splinters came out. And I don't mean a, a few splinters. I'm talking about hundreds upon hundreds of, of divisions and splits until uh, it's an amazing assortment. Okay? Two, that the, uh, concerning the church, that, uh, that it's the organic body of Christ. Saints, if you have any concept of the church, I, I beg you, pick this one up. It's just one thing. And that is, it's the organic body of Christ. Okay. If you see this, if you see this, this means <laughs> you would never care at all for anything organi organized, organizational. It's living. Okay, look, look. Eddie, here's, what, here's how you need to lead, lead your life. If I could chart out how you should function as a member of the body of Christ and hand you a list and that's the way you do it. You see, I just organized your being. It's impossible. But the more you experience all these points up here, you just get into the organic union with Christ. Then as a member of the body, you just are part of the organic body of Christ. You just live Christ. Everyone else lives Christ. The body, it's not something you, you analyze. It's just something you are and you express. How do you do it? By being filled with Christ. And everybody's filled. And, and when we're filled, uh, it's God's responsibility to fit us all together and cause us to function as a unit and be His expression. See, it's a beautiful thing. It's 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 a mysterious thing. It cannot be explained in human terms. It it can only be explained in terms of the indwelling of the Spirit, spreading His life in us uh, organically, so that we are His expression. He's the head. Whatever the head wants, the body does. That's all you can say. That's you, you go further in that, and you get organized. You organize something that can't cannot be organized. Do you understand? It's easy to understand, but boy, I'll tell you, you can get caught so many times. The temptation to organize, and by that, you try to direct the life of Christ into certain way, certain channel, certain avenue. You try it. You try to. You, you try, it's like making water run uphill. It just, you, you think, oh, it should do this. Why? It's, you got so many good reasons why the life should be this way and why the body should look like this or that. But you're not the head. You're just a member. You see, the, the, the responsibility, the understanding, the the uh, the uh, the whole control of the body centers in the head. You see, and the head is the life-giving spirit. Right. You see, and, and as He rules and reigns in our being, we just become the organic body of Christ. Amen. We express Him. Uh, we don't, uh, we don't uh, take the way of organization, right? And we just, we just do it. 
you go further than this and you really you really get in trouble with the spirit because he will not put his seal of approval on you and my bright ideas. He won't do it. He, he'll do it his way and it's up to us to know him well enough to uh, understand what's on his heart and what he wants. Then we cooperate with him. Then we express him as the organic body. Right? If you read the New Testament, I, I'm sorry to say you cannot find another thing except this. Then uh, the oneness of the church, the next three I would put as a group. The oneness of the church, the content of the church, and the ground of the church. Okay? The oneness of the church was not seen or it would not have split. Luther would have abhorred the thought of being at odds with Zwingli over the Lord's table. You, you follow what I'm saying? Uh, all the differences in baptism became an issue. How you baptize and when you baptize became an issue. Okay? How you meet. What day of the week you meet became an issue. Do you realize not all Christians agree on what is the Lord's Day? All kind of things. Everything. What is holiness? Your definition of holiness is different from mine. Therefore, you're one church and I'm another. Oneness is out the window. See, what is your doctrine on, uh, on uh, the gifts of the Spirit? You believe one way and I believe another way. Therefore, we're not one. You see? So, the oneness was not there. This huge, big thing about the Spirit was not there. The oneness was not there. Okay? And because the oneness was not there, uh, this just opened the door for so many things to divide, to split, and so forth. Uh, this caused... Uh, this was the beginning of endless, uh, endless debates, endless uh, things that were going on and that caused real problems. No oneness. Okay? Now, <clears throat> why weren't there any oneness? Uh, if I could be on the church side, I would say oneness, oneness is a big, big doctrine. Big. Not just doctrine. It's more than a doctrine. It's, it's, it's huge. It towers in the New Testament economy that the Lord's people have been called to be one. Okay, in the Gospels, it's so strong in John 17. Acts, it's so clear in practice. And the Epistles, it's so strong in teaching to, to keep the oneness. Okay? And yet, and yet as big as it is, it, this is, in Christian's consciousness, it's just a little old thing. Oh, oneness, it's a nice thing uh, to have if you can get it, or on occasions, whenever you can find, find it. It's a nice thing to have. You see, but there's no concept that it dwarfs all these other things that are minor. Okay? So the Lord is really after oneness in the church. And He has to recover that. And the way He'll recover that is two ways. Number one is by having the inward content of the church to be proper and to have the ground of the church outwardly to be proper. Inward contact and outward uh, inward uh, content and outward standing. When these two are proper, then you have oneness. OK? 
Okay? And I assure you, now, I, I will, I'm going to give myself a little credit for understanding church history. I'm just going to, okay, whether you agree with me or not. Uh, I know this much. There has never been a time in church history when the inward contact, content and the outward standing joined together to produce oneness. There have been times when they had the content. And there have been some rarer times when they had a standing. It wasn't too clear, but it was there. But no one ever had both together, clear-cut, absolutely a revelation combined together because if you don't have both of them working together at the same time, you cannot have the oneness of the New Testament. You've got to have the content that saves you from division and you have to have the standing that saves you from division. Do you follow me? Okay. Okay, what is the content that will save you? The content is something that we all have, that we all agree on, that we all, uh, uh, that would produce oneness, and that is the experience of God's economy. You see, uh, God is in Christ. Christ has become the life-giving spirit. He is now within us. Uh, he solved all the problems on the cross. He's in us now as a spirit. We can contact Him day by day. We can experience Him. He can, he can uh, uh, mingle with us as one life, and we can express Him. We can do everything in our uh, daily human life, spiritually, humanly, in any sort of way, by being one with Him. And we do this corporately to express Him. That's God's economy. We all agree with this. There, nobody would say there's something wrong. Okay? This is all common to us. You see? But if you just get off this economy one little bit, the economy of the experience of the all-inclusive Christ day by day, and you get off of it just a little bit, then eventually... <laughs> something comes in to divide. You see, it can start like this. See, Tom, you believe this way. And you see, your brother, see, he, he believes very similar to you. But you don't quite emphasize the same, I mean, you're just, you, you deviate a little bit, okay? After a while, you see, you were so close here. But you just got off God's economy a little bit. You see the gap is widening? You just, you just keep going that way. You see? After a while, look how far apart you are. <laughs> Press this on way down. You see, you'll be way apart. Because why? You left the central thing. You left God's central lane, His economy, to experience Him as a life-giving spirit. You picked up things which the enemy has historically used to divide, which are what? Think about it. Teachings. Teachings about everything. He cannot divide us on teachings about the experience of God's economy. He can't do that. But he can divide us on teachings about all kinds of subjects. The Bible is full of teachings. They are fine. They're necessary. They're important in their place. But if they are to become an issue, they should be something that are dropped if it's an issue. Paul says, do you have faith about a thing? And this was a minor thing. He said, you have it to yourself. In other words, keep it to yourself before God. And let the other person keep theirs to themselves. Then you don't damage the ones. Okay? So, you have to take care. Don't ever let the winds of teaching 
blow and take us away from oneness. Don't let any practice... You see, teaching is one thing. Practice is another thing. Don't let a practice take you. One person likes to do one thing one way. Someone else likes to do one thing another way. And you say, oh, this is the way to do it. And someone else says, no, this is the way to do it. For the, for the sake of a certain way, you, you forfeited this great thing that has to occur before Christ can come back and get His bride. I mean, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but this is the... This is a thing the enemy has just nullified down through the time to keep this oneness from being realized. Right. You see? Oh, the way to... Uh, I don't know. I don't have a good example. Okay? You see? Maybe you like to pray-read a certain way. Do you pray-read exactly the same way? Not exactly the same. I didn't think you did. Okay, you don't pray exactly the same, but then Tim, let's say you don't pray read. It's totally different. He pray reads five verses at a time, and you pray read one phrase at a time. To you, you'd rather spend 20 minutes on one phrase, but to Tim, let's go on, let's go on. I've got to, you know, more. I'm finished pray reading that. Let's go on to the next phrase. And you're, and you're saying, oh, no, I haven't finished this phrase. I want to just enjoy this one phrase. I need 10 more minutes on this one phrase. No, I'm going on. And y'all, y'all are trying to have morning watch together. And then, and then you see, then you see your your practices are getting. Uh, uh, at one point, you really get mad, and it just it goes out like this, down like that. See, and and, and uh, she 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 goes over here, down, down like that. CB, remind me to clean that off. Okay. In big trouble. Big trouble. Over what? Pray reading. Pray reading. You two individuals, at this point, you're really, you're really quite out of it with each other. I mean, you're really divided. If both of you represented a large group of people, you would become a different denomination. Listen. Listen. The Lord had His oneness on the earth and we were enjoying the oneness of the Spirit before pray reading was even practiced among us. Okay, I was in the church life before there was such a thing as pray reading the Word of God. I remember when it happened. And I remember saying, what is that? (laughs) That's pray reading. Oh, that's what that is. Don't say, oh... Some people say, well, I don't like to pray read the Bible. I just, I get up, I like to pray, and then after I pray, I read the Bible. Would you say, what would you, what would you say to a person like that? Would you, would you adjust them? Oh, Tom. Tom. You, you know what? Just like with Peter, your speech betrays you. You see? This is, you're so quick to say no. I'm pretty sure you would be very quick to adjust them. I bet. <laughs> Think about it. Just think about it. <laughs> Somebody's pray reading the Word and in the same time, which I, I think is... I, I really am for that. But don't you pray some other times without the Word in front... I mean, open in front of you? I, I pray mostly that way, not with the Word in front of me. Are you surprised? Do you think I just was pray reading all the time? 
<laughs> but you know, I'm pretty sure if I were your agent, I told you that you would, somebody would adjust me. Before I got out that door, somebody would adjust me. You know, I hear about all these little adjustments. They, they all get to my ears. So-and-so, so-and-so said this is the way. And so-and-so said that's just the way. You see? And, uh, and we hear all kind of little stories like this. So-and-so said this is the way. And, oh, well, they did. Um, so-and-so said this is the way. <laughs> listen, if, if the brothers in the church listened to all this tugging, you know, right... Then we, we would have no church life. We'd be all the time in, uh, jumping around like a, like a Mexican jumping bean. <laughs> One way, another way, and uh, uh, we would be pray-reading, and someone says this is a way to pray-read, and someone said this way. Anyway, as long as you touch the Lord in the Word, that's pray-reading. Okay? It's, not, it's not a technique. It's, it's real. It's a reality. Okay? I'm using maybe some examples. But you think, think, brothers, sisters, uh, if we can learn, just stay on God's economy and really let everything else go. Why adjust another person? Have you ever read, read Romans 14 real slowly sometime? Who are you? Who are you? Right? To judge another man's servant. Who are you? Okay. To his own master he stands or he falls. Not to you. But nevertheless, especially, this is a disease with young people. They just, oh, didn't you know? Didn't you hear? Didn't, just in the message last week we heard. Just in the life study last week we read. We all read it together. We should do this way. See? And they just, this, they act as if they found you know, they, they, they found uh, a piece of Noah's Ark on Mount Arafat or something. <laughs> no, winds of teaching are childish. Okay. You would take a practice and make a teaching out of it. No, just practice. You, you, you touch the Lord that way, fine. Just do it. Go. Go 100 miles an hour. Just don't make somebody else have to do it your way. If they like it one way, be one with them. If you can't do it that way, let them do it that way. You do it your way. But anyway, don't kill oneness. Okay? So, anyway, teachings and practices are just to be used by the Spirit. They are not to be used by the devil. Okay? They're to be used by the Spirit. Okay, then, the, that's on the content of the church. Then on the ground of the church... Uh, this is a big thing and of course the main thing with the content of the church uh, the ground of the church is to see that this oneness with its content must have a container and this container is the ground of the church and if you don't have that that ground which is that the church in the New Testament is the church in a particular city and the ground of the church is the ground of locality. In the church in Corinth, there was the, the church in Corinth. Not two churches, not three, not one half, not a part of one. Just one church, one city. If you keep that basic New Testament principle, regardless of what happens, how many winds blow, how many uh, distractions come in, or, or however the enemy attacks... Regardless of what is flying around, 
you still have an anchor that you're standing on. You'll have a, a foundation. That's the ground of the church. So, brothers, there's only one church in one city. And this preserves and contains the oneness of the Spirit. And frankly speaking, uh, if you read, uh, or take my word for it if you want to, in church history there have been many moves of the Spirit. And one of the reasons they didn't last, one of them, is they didn't see the container. And so naturally the Spirit had no restrictions, or I should say the people had no restrictions, and they could not maintain the oneness because there was no clear-cut container. That's where the ground of the church comes in. Put all that together and you can see how if all of these are operating simultaneously, the bride of Christ are being produced. Then, number six, the priesthood of all the believers. That sounds like an old doctrine, but it's not... Uh, there, there is not operative today the priesthood of all believers except you're in the line of Philadelphia. And I would say, in our own experience, we are a combination of this and we have a percentage of the clergy laity. But God's desire is the priesthood of the believer. Okay, This means all the believers are indispensable, valuable, and they are the ones who directly do the ministry to build up the body of Christ. That is a big statement. But to get it to become reality has taken God 2,000 years and He hasn't made it yet. Human beings are slow to take this way. They really like to lay back and let the clergy do it. And they like to be laity. It's really the way it is. I, okay. But whenever the church rises up to do all the functioning, the church preaches the gospel. You know, Sardis, the Reformation, including all the denominations, so many, you know they're characterized by? They're characterized by uh, things getting into a deadened condition and they feel they need to be recovered. And the way they recover that is they have revivals. Right. Revivalism is a characteristic of Sardis. You know what that means? If you've got to be... This is reviving the members. Revivals originally were not gospel crusades. Originally they were for the members to be revived. That's why it's called revivals and not uh, something else. Okay? It, it's turned into evangelism, but originally that's not what it was for. Uh, they tried their best to revive the members. But they, you can't revive something, at least for very long, when the overall mentality is clergy laity because you assume your place is to lay back and not be full, uh, you know, uh, totally operative and totally functioning as a brother or a sister. You just consider that some are the leaders and some are the followers and that's the way it is. You see, that mentality plagues us a lot still. It plagues us all the time. Well, so-and-so is going to do it. Or, I don't think that's my responsibility. You see, this just is in our blood. Then, uh, number seven, the uh, <clears throat> relatedness and serving the Lord. Uh, this is really something... Uh, I'd say this is harder for... 
Americans than anything else, uh, we have a very independent mentality. And to be related, to be restricted, to serve the Lord in coordination with others, this is a saying that's not easy. You have to apply the cross of Christ subjectively to your flesh for this to work out. But it will work out. And whenever we serve... Uh, versus independent ministry, versus freelancing, versus doing things uh, that, that the end of the result is not the church, but it's just some kind of uh, uh, good thing that you did for the Lord. No, we have to serve the Lord in relatedness in our ministry to others. Okay, then we see a rich blessing. Uh, being built together corporately and practically. Uh, and number nine, corporate consciousness. All of these are very... Uh, close together. This is just being in the church life, not just in your body, but even in your consciousness. You just are. You just feel you're a member of one another. We're brothers and sisters of one another, and that's the way it is. We dare. We just couldn't. We just have the feeling I could never make it by myself. I just. I just don't ask me to be alone. Don't ask me to be overcoming. Don't even ask me to do anything by myself. I just exist in the context of the members of the body of Christ. I live with them. They live with me. I am just one of the members of the body of Christ. I live corporately. I have a personal relationship to the Lord in the midst of a corporate relationship with the Lord. That's the proper way. Uh, spiritual warfare, the only thing I'd like to say here is there have been some giants that could pray uh, unbelievably uh, powerful in prayer. Uh, but that was only one person. And today, uh, the Lord has recovered this aspect of spiritual warfare where we can fight the battle against God's enemy and we can do it without the... Uh, how shall I say it? You know, when these individuals fought God's battle and they were alone and they did it by themselves, they did not put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6 because they were by themselves. So they could, the, the armor belongs to the body, not to an individual. Okay? They couldn't do it. But have you ever gotten in a prayer meeting where we were dealing with the Lord about His interest and we were also dealing with the enemy about His activity? Have you ever noticed how much anointing comes in? And had you ever noticed how released you got? Right. Did you ever notice how easy it was? Right. That's because the spiritual warfare was designed to be fought in the body and not by individuals. Then, finally, uh, another big thing is the recovery of the Lord's table. Uh, thank the Lord that uh, we, have, we have an awareness of the recovery of the Lord's table. That which has, has been a subject of so much debate, so much controversy, so much whatever, today it is not appreciated. If you go to even a very fundamental type denomination, you will not get to participate in the Lord's Table in nearly all cases, except once a month and sometimes once a quarter. But, <laughs> praise the Lord, we get to remember Him at the first on the first day of every week and partake of his table he left us with a great thing to do and he's recovered the reality of the Lord's table and there's a lot to that which we won't go into but we need to be thankful that we are having the experience of the Lord's table I had 
my appreciation of the Lord's table was so low that even after I came into the recovery, I, I still wondered if we weren't wasting good time. I did. Because the whole thing was just one big ceremony where I came from. And, and, and to do, what, what was it even all about? No one was clear about. See? So when you came into the church life, or when I did, and we started having the Lord's Table every week, I said, I said, oh, wow. It was bad having it every quarter, now every week. So, you know, I'm a busy person, right? Then, then after, <laughs> I didn't know the truth yet, but then the truth came. Oh, what a difference, the Lord's Table. A time, the Lord just ordained His people to wipe out the rest of the universe for a space of time every week to just do one thing, to remember Him. Oh, see, wonderful. He recovered that. He recovered His table. Okay, those are the things I wanted to share that I believe were the uncompleted works of the Reformation that had to be completed. Okay?